You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things ORAU through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, how we're impacting an ever-changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Further Together, the ORU podcast. I am Michael with my co-host. Jenna. How are you this morning? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm really good. I'm excited about our topic today. I am too. This is um, our first, I guess, official scientist, uh-huh. researcher that we've interviewed. Yeah, so, yeah. And a really important one for us here at um, ORU and ORIS. So and it's a cool topic. It's a very cool topic. not a lot of people know about. So. Yeah, it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, <laughs> let's get started. Dr. Balaji, welcome to Further Together, the ORU podcast. I am delighted to be here. <laughs> I have never won, and I have never done one like this, but I'm really excited to share some of our work. Cool. Excellent. Uh, so, um, tell us a little bit first about who you are and what you do for the organization. Uh, let me give you a brief history. Okay. <laughs> okay. I did my PhD from India, mm-hmm. and then I went to the Sylvius Laboratories in the Netherlands uh, to pursue my research on DNA repair and uh, genomic stability. And I exclusively worked on ultraviolet light induced DNA damage, UV light, uh, because a lot of people uh, do get skin cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the melanin content. So that was our main interest. Mm -hmm. So what causes skin cancer after exposure to ultraviolet light? Um, After working there for three years and I moved to uh, National Institute of Health, Baltimore. When I say Baltimore, people say, no, it's Bethesda. No, it's Baltimore. (laughs) Uh, Two institutions actually, uh, Laboratory um, of Aging and the National Institute on Alcohol and Drug Abuse. So these two institutes are still in the Johns Hopkins Bayview campus. Uh, So I worked there with uh, Dr. Wilhelm Bohr. Um, he's the grandson of Nobel Prize winner Niels Bohr. Okay. So I always say that he does not like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to boost myself. I want the grandson of a Nobel Prize winner. So this way it draws the attention of the people. Two degrees of separation. Uh, yes. So I pretty much continued what I was doing uh, in the Netherlands, uh, again working on ultraviolet light induced DNA damage and repair. So we identified some genes and uh, we also got some insights how UV causes the skin cancer. And we also worked on uh, premature aging syndromes. Okay. Um, so there are like five syndromes in humans. Um, so when I say premature aging syndrome, so the the patients develop aging features very fast. Mm. So like a 16 or 18 year old person will look like 80 or 90 years old mm. person. Wow. Uh, so we were interested in understanding how the aging occurs. Mm-hmm. So first of all, how do we age and mm-hmm. why do we age and why our, uh, all the important functions, including the cognitive function, uh, decline mm-hmm. uh, with age. So that was our main interest. So um, we found out a lot of interesting information. Um, so that was my work at the NIH. Okay. Then I moved to Columbia University Medical Center. 
where I worked uh, the longest, 16 years oh, wow. okay. in the Department of Radiation Oncology. Um, so there I worked on various aspects of uh, low-dose radiation, um, how it affects people and what are the biological effects mm -hmm. one could um, experience. Um, so our focus was mainly on cancer incidence, how low-dose radiation causes cancer. Um, so that was my main interest and uh, of course I continued to work on cancer. Uh, so the research in my laboratory identified a biomarker for advanced stage of prostate cancer. Okay. Uh, so then we went on uh, to do more work on that biomarker. Uh, it's called RecuL4. So it's like a gene and protein. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you suppress that, so the cancer cells will get killed. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were pretty excited. And uh, so this is not only a biomarker for prostate cancer, but also for breast cancer, oh, wow. gastric cancer, colon cancer, you name it. Because wow. this is one of uh, the most important uh, gene for cancer cells because it helps to proliferate. So this gene is overexpressed, so the cancer cells keep growing. So when you suppress it, the cancer cells will get killed. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and then I moved to ORU in 2015. Mm -hmm. I took up the position of technical director for the Cytogenetic Biodiversity Laboratory. And I'm here um, since then. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And we're glad you're here. Mm -hmm. um, what does the Cytogenetic Biodiversity Lab do? So, uh, Cytogenetic Biodosmetry Lab is really unique. And so, we have only two federally funded labs. Mm -hmm. One is at AFRI in Bethesda, the other one is at Workridge. Uh, in the Cytogenetic Biodosmetry Lab, we use a chromosome anomaly test, which is known as a dicentric chromosome mm -hmm. assay. So, we use this test to estimate the absorbed radiation dose in humans. So people get exposed to radiation, especially nuclear workers. Mm -hmm. It could be occupational or accidental or incidental, like radiological or nuclear terrorism. So if people are exposed, so we just collect the blood samples and then we do this uh, process and then estimate the absorbed radiation dose. Okay. So if the dose is really high, uh, so they can seek medical attention. Mm -hmm. And if the dose is low, you know, they don't need any medical attention. They can go back home and wait for the signs to appear, mm -hmm. if at all, if they appear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, where do you get the the blood? How do where do you get the blood samples from? How does that process work? How do you so, end up? Yes. So, if someone is exposed, so we usually get the samples from the nuclear workers okay. or uh, people who are working in sterilization industries. So mm -hmm. they they use a lot of X rays and gamma rays to sterilize stuff, mm -hmm. you know, their culture vessels, flasks, pipettes, and mm -hmm. all that stuff. So they do get uh, accidental exposure sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, so they all wear the physical dosimeters, mm -hmm. so they know the dose, but the physical dosimeter will only tell you the dose outside the body, you know. Okay. So how much of your blood cells are affected or if your body parts are affected, so you have to turn to biodose. So we collect the blood samples. So basically someone actually uh, from the industry, uh, basically from HR and also the um, health safety officer. Mm -hmm. So they usually have a primary talk with REACT staff. So they will tell them the scenario. Uh, so, and then they will tell uh, the physical dose from the dosimeter. And then they will discuss uh, whether it is even worth doing a cytogenetic analysis mm -hmm. because the cytogenetic analysis is good 
uh, from 0.1 gray and above. Okay. So if it is extremely low, so if it is less than 0.1 gray, there's no point in using the dicentric chromosome assay. Okay. So they decide. So once they decide the dose is high enough for cytogenetic analysis, so we will ask the blood samples and we receive the blood samples and run the assay. Uh, but uh, the request for the cytogenetic test has to come from the physician. Mm. So we don't deal with the patient uh, or the exposed victims. Mm -hmm. So when we get the request, we do the test and we um, inform the physician about the dose. So then they will take uh, appropriate medical action mm -hmm. if at all it's needed. Okay. Right. And the test that you're doing, you talk about the dicentric chromosomal assay is essentially looking for damage yes. to the chromosomes. Yes. Right? Radiation actually damages the chromosomes and uh, some of the chromosomes are misrejoined. So because of uh, the DNA repair threshold. So if it exceeds, you get the dicentric chromosome. And I forgot to mention that dicentric chromosome formation is radiation dose dependent. Okay. So the frequency of dicentric will tell you the dose, the absorbed radiation dose. And so you're essentially sort of counting the we are actually counting, of, but of we dicentrics. have yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so we actually we were doing manual counting, but now we but do this automated. Mm -hmm. Sure. We have two metaphor microscopes, and uh, so these microscopes can detect the dicentric chromosomes and give you the data. Mm -hmm. So it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> so we recently compiled a manuscript on this. Okay. Excellent. Because uh, we are always thinking of high throughput tools, mm -hmm. because in case of radiation mass casualty incidents, mm -hmm. hundreds and thousands of people will get exposed. Mm -hmm. So if you do everything manually, it's going to take a whole lot of time. Sure. Yeah. And uh, the exposed persons need to know the dose almost immediately. Sooner, yeah. So right. they can seek medical attention. So we are uh, really focusing on uh, developing a lot of high throughput automated platforms for radiation dose assessment. So if there is minimal human intervention, you know, there'll be a lot of high throughput data coming right, out in right. case of mass casualty incidents. Yeah. Well, and as you mentioned, sort of mass casualty incidents involving radiation, the Cytolab is part of the REACTS, the Radiation Emergency Assistance Center training site that we manage for the Department of Energy, which essentially is, um, for folks who don't know, mm -hmm. <laughs> a team of people who, uh, you know, if there is a radiation emergency, are um, basically dispatched either to the site or available mm -hmm. to provide assistance um, in the event of a mass casualty or a, a radiation emergency. And your lab essentially does the counting to help measure the, or yeah. does the does the assay to measure what the radiation dose looks like for folks yes. who are affected. Yes, REACT staff actually give a lot of consultation. Uh, they have done in the past. So REACT sure. is a world-renowned organization. They Absolutely. work 24-7. Uh, so they do a lot of consultation. They give advice for decontamination, sometimes deployment. Mm -hmm. They do all kinds of uh, stuff for uh, radiological uh, emergencies. But the CBL, we do the radiation dose assessment. So the first step is actually um, done by REACTS, right. you know, doing all kinds of consultation, what is needed and what is uh, required. And then if there are some highly exposed cases, then it will be referred to us for do the radiation dose assessment to confirm. It's really interesting. It's one of my favorite, actually, parts of what we do mm -hmm. is 
is just the whole React Cytolab piece of um, this incredible set of skills, but also the great team of people that we have in, in both places. And people don't really know about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we know about it and folks here in Oak Ridge know about it, but... It's a hidden gem. It's, yeah, it's a hidden gem. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that we love talking about because it doesn't get enough attention, really. (laughs) Yes, I think uh, they are doing such a wonderful job and everybody should be aware of that. You know, in case if they need, they should know where to turn to. Right. And uh, I must say uh, that uh, React has a wonderful team. Mm-hmm. And of course, CBL is part of React. Yeah. Right. React is the yeah. big picture. Right. So uh, it is fabulous to work here uh, because I learned a lot ever since I uh, came here in 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned a lot at Columbia University Medical Center as well, mm-hmm. but it's all lab research. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it reacts is reality. Yeah. Right. Actually, right. You know, it happens yeah. to people. So. Rather than working with cells, I always prefer to work with humans yeah. because you have the satisfaction of doing you know, something to human welfare right. and human health. Yeah. So I'm really fascinated. I think uh, you know, it's, it, this is uh, it's a really uh, very good experience for me. Well, and as you mentioned, I mean, there are only two cytolabs in the yes. country. So it's a very, very specialized mm-hmm. um, process and, and group of skills and obviously team that, that you lead. So Yes. Uh, one thing I should mention is that uh, the dicentric chromosome assay is considered to be the gold standard mm-hmm. uh, because the normal healthy people will not show any dicentric chromosome and it happens only after radiation exposure. Right. Uh, so the downside of it it takes too much time. Mm. Uh, it takes anyway between three to four days. So a lot of people are pretty upset about that. So we are developing a lot of novel techniques to reduce the turnaround time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so the, my concept is that, so if you develop a faster technique, you know, really for the screening. Mm-hmm. So if you have 10,000 people, I think you have to screen them very mm. quick. And then you segregate who are exposed and who are not exposed. Right. Mm-hmm. So then you focus on those exposed Both, people yeah. because it's usually is less than 10%. Okay. Yeah. So if 100,000 people are exposed, it's usually you know, down to 10%. Yeah. So, but you need to have some screening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's what we are uh, planning to do. So we are developing a lot of uh, novel biomarkers uh, for radiation exposure. Uh, which will work complementary to the dice. That's great. Right. I can imagine, you know, if you think you've been exposed, your emotions are running high. You Absolutely. want those, those test right. results back pretty quickly, but you want them to be correct. So, yes. yeah. I can. Uh, so one problem we always have to deal with is the psychosomaticalness. Mm-hmm. So the people are not exposed, but they think they are exposed. So they have all kinds of uh, prodromal symptoms. Mm-hmm. So they have nausea and vomiting. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think psychologically you are exposed, yeah. so you develop all kinds of the symptoms. Yeah. Sure. So when you do the biodosimetry using cytogenetic assay, so you can relieve them of their anxiety. Yeah. Oh, okay, you are not exposed, <laughs> you are fine. Yeah. Right. So that's way it helps. You mentioned sort of screening before before the assay and, and other things. You do a lot of research in this area, not only to improve the process, but of the impact of radiation in general. Talk about some of the research that, you, uh, that you've done and that you're doing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I must thank Warrior Research Program. I mean, that's, that's a great program. Uh, I really appreciate. And uh, I got the Warrior Award 
fourth time mm -hmm. ever since it's uh, started in uh, 2015, <laughs> I think. So it's really great. Uh, so it gives you enough funding uh, to try out new things. And uh, once you get good results, uh, you can actually seek for uh, some more funding from many federal agencies like DOD or mm -hmm. NASA or something. It's really great. Uh, so one of the project which I always talk about, uh, <laughs> Dr. Abelquist also mentioned about this. Mm -hmm. uh, this is about the bioprinting of human tissues. Mm -hmm. Right. So this work we did in collaboration with the Florida Institute of Technology, Dr. Huyang Yang. Um, he's my collaborator. Okay. Uh, we recently submitted a proposal to NASA mm -hmm. um, using this bioprinted tissues to assess space radiation-induced health risks. Mm -hmm. So this technology uh, is not entirely new. Uh, you know, it has been going on for the last four or five years. And there are a lot of uh, pharmaceutical companies, they do all the bioprinted tissues. So it has got great opportunity. I have to tell you that, uh, you know, we have so many different organs and tissues in our body. But some of them are more radiation sensitive than others. Okay. So when you are exposed to radiation, those sensitive organs will be affected much more mm -hmm. than the resistant ones. For example, our skin is not as radiation sensitive as the lens of the eye. Oh, okay. So people do get cataract. So uh, we have done uh, on mice and also other animal model systems, mm -hmm. when we expose the animals to radiation, they develop cataract. Hmm. Hmm. And the cataract has also been reported in some of the astronauts after their space mission. Oh. So if we develop a bioprinting for the lens of the eye, mm -hmm. for example, so we can study what causes cataract. So why these cells uh, are more radiation sensitive? Mm -hmm. So you can f understand the molecular basis of it or the mechanistic basis. So why certain organs are more radiation sensitive? Mm -hmm. So the DNA repair is compromised in those tissues. So they suffer more damage or not able to repair those lesions or damage, whatever. Mm -hmm. So this bioprinting technology really is going to help us because you can actually uh, do bioprinted tissues for your heart or liver or kidney, any organ you wish for. Mm -hmm. And then you irradiate, so these are three-dimensional, very mm -hmm. similar to our tissues mm -hmm. in vivo, uh, like in our body. Right. So you can actually study the response. So what all the signaling mechanisms, how radiation causes damage, and what leads to tissue degeneration. Uh, so astronauts, they also suffer from cardiovascular dysfunctions. Okay. Uh, you know, thickening of arteries, mm -hmm. and uh, so they have all kinds of cardiovascular problems and also uh, neurodegeneration, uh, cognitive impairment. And they are also floating in air, mm -hmm. in space, right. so there is, no, there is zero gravity, right. so this is microgravity effects are far more deleterious mm -hmm. because you are hanging, so your fluid distribution is different, uh -huh. you know, if you are standing or if you are floating, so there is a fluid redistribution that also adds up to a radiation effects. Huh. So the radiation effects are pretty different under zero gravity or microgravity. So you can address all of this by using bioprinted tissues. Okay. That is so cool. That is. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah. To, I mean, you don't think about, I mean, who would have thought fluid distribution? I mean, it makes Perfect logical sense, sense yeah. obviously. Yeah. They do this it, in the International Space Station, so they actually simulate. So it's all gotcha. really wow. fascinating. So is the the goal of having the um, 
3D printed tissue to help figure out how to mitigate those effects yes. ultimately? So that is the ultimate goal is how you can mitigate the, uh, mitigate the radiation effects. Mm -hmm. So that's what it is. And uh, you can also use this for uh, drug discovery. Okay. Mm. Uh, so our novel biomarkers. Mm -hmm. So we need novel biomarkers to predict the early and late effects of radiation. You know, for example, uh, for the heart, mm -hmm. for the brain. So if you come up with some protein biomarkers which can predict um, the dysfunction of that organ, so you can seek medical attention. Gotcha. And, and also for developing novel uh, radio protectors, for example. Okay. So now uh, the Mars mission is in the future. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mars, uh, the radiation is several folds higher than on Earth. Mm -hmm. So you have to protect the astronauts. So that's why NASA is investing a lot of money uh, to find out ways to mitigate the space radiation effects. Wow, that's incredible. And we're part of that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really excited about uh, many of the research avenues mm -hmm. uh, initiated at the CBL. And uh, we are also using cell phones as emergency dosimeters. You know, I was talking about, uh, you know, you have to do a fast screening for right. most people. So everybody uses cell phone and right. cell phones are all almost uh, tied to people. So Absolutely. we can actually use the cell phones and then estimate the absorbed radiation dose from the cell phones and then you can segregate the people. Really? So you would test the cell phone to see? Yes, a cell phone absorbs radiation. Huh, okay. So the, the gorilla glass, they call it, uh -huh. mm -hmm. and also the resistors and capacitors you have inside the cell phones. Okay. So they all absorb radiation, so you can actually detect the signal. Wow. So they absorb radiation and then you can do electro-paramagnetic resonance. Okay. Uh, oh my goodness. So EPR. And, and then put so. people in different, you know, separate them out to say, okay, you have maybe got a little a bit little more bit. and that's super cool. Right. Yeah. And people have done this on the nails. Yeah. And the fingernails and toenails uh -huh. and also on the teeth, okay. enamel. So you can actually detect the radiation dose because they absorb. Oh, yeah. I think Dr. Uh, Abelquist talked about uh, the boar's teeth. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, in Fukushima. Fukushima. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. So it's called EPR. Okay. Uh, so the downside of EPR is it's not uh, uh, really sensitive. Mm -hmm. So it has to be really high dose, okay. to gray and above. And uh, there is also a lot of noise. Okay. So the background. Gotcha. So, but once you optimize, you can use the cell phones. Huh. Um, That's amazing. We have got great success uh, using cell phones as mm -hmm. emergency dosimeters. We compared actually the physical dosimetry by the cell phone with the biodosimetry by the DCA. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. Uh, so it's very close. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's cool. That's incredible. And that's happening right here. Yeah. Yes. That's uh, incredible. So, and again, uh, thanks to Audi Audi program, uh, we thought uh, that seed funding, uh, we would not have been uh, able to do any of this, mm -hmm. what I explained. Right. So that seed funding is really, really critical for us, you know, to venture into new avenues because you don't get funding to do all the pilot studies. Yeah. So the Wardiardi program really helps. So they give you some money and then you do some work and then take this to federal agencies for further funding. Mm -hmm. Right. So because you need a lot of money. <laughs> right, and especially for testing and for. Yes. And that's ours too. But it's essentially, it's ORAU directed research and development. Yes, ORAU directed um, uh, research and development. Mm -hmm. and, and you've gotten funding for 
as you said, four projects for... Yes, I got the funding uh, for the four projects. Uh, yes, the one is the recent one and the three in the past. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's cool. great. So, anything else that you would like to tell us about you, your work? <laughs> <We've> <laughs> Me, covered I really <laughs> enjoy. Uh, and to be really honest, uh, so if I have to rank all the organizations I have ever worked for, mm -hmm. What you you was at the top of the list. <laughs> That's good. I really enjoy working here. I'm not just saying that. Um, it's really fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, so the employee empowerment mm. is especially appealing to me mm -hmm. because you have to motivate people. So if people are not motivated, they will not give you the best. So you have to keep the people motivated all the time. Mm -hmm. So you they have to be inspired. You know, right. to do something. So it's not like, uh, you know, you come at 8 o'clock and then you leave at 5 o'clock mm -hmm. and then, you know, you are not satisfied with your work. Uh, so in that aspect, I'm really lucky. So I really love what I do. And I hope the people at the CBL also uh, feel the same way. I think that shows. Think we were talking earlier that you go down to the Cyto Lab, and you get so excited about being down there because your excitement, your, the scientists that work down there are so passionate about what you guys do that it excites the visitors. And I know nothing. Right. Oh, yeah. I know nothing. I'm not but a scientist. I mean, you go down there, and it's it, everything that comes out of your mouth, you can tell you're super excited about it, and just the passion is there. So it's a fun place. I mean, if you're in Oak Ridge and you work for ORU and you can get down there, you should go. You should go. Absolutely. Because it's not only talking to the people that work there, like Dr. Biology, but it's also, for me, the visuals, too. Seeing the chromosomes, is it's gorgeous. You never, I never knew that, you know, looking at chromosomes could be beautiful. Right. And it's but a it's, really cool experience. Absolutely. We highly recommend it. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Moments of inspiration. <laughs> we're just going to go to the CBL. Yeah. You can edit this. But, <laughs> so whenever somebody visits at the CBL, the one downside I think I feel on my part mm -hmm. is uh, I keep the people for too long. No. <laughs> no. Beyond the scheduled no. time. Oh, no, no, we have to go. We have right. to go. So, well, I would rather the excitement. I mean, I would rather you be overly excited Absolutely, than, than underwhelmed. Not. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Dr. Balaji, thank you so yeah, much. Thank oh, you, thank you Michael. Here. Thank you, Jenna, for yeah. this wonderful opportunity so I can uh, really express myself today. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU, and on Instagram at ORAU Together.